Every community has a, a light by which they illuminate something of the com coming kingdom. And so I, I've literally just called this message the beautiful church. Because, uh, because all of us, we have something. Each community is a little bit different. They have a lamp. Uh, we, we read about in Revelation that each community has a lamp. And by those lamps, the world is able to see something of the coming kingdom. And today we want to look a little bit at what LSA's lamp is. But I first want to talk about, about what it means to be a sign and a wonder. So a couple of years ago, just over four years ago now, Richard and I had the great privilege of taking our teenage daughters, 13 and 16 at the time, uh, to a, on a ministry trip with us. And on this ministry trip, we were in a conference and somebody with a prophetic gift began to prophesy over our 13-year-old daughter. And they prophesied quite a weird prophecy. <laughs> Sometimes when people prophesy, you think, oh, wow, I don't know how that is relevant at all, but okay, I'll just put it in the back pocket, write it in the back of the journal, and we'll come back to it. Uh, the, it was a couple that prophesied, and they prophesied over Kiara that, first of all, that she would go through suffering. And they said to her, do you, do you, have you ever seen a ballerina's feet? Not knowing that ballet is her entire life. And she knows what it means to have a ballerina's feet that are bleeding uh, on the inside, but look beautiful on the outside. They said, it's going to be like that. You're going to suffer. And not everyone's going to know the extent of your suffering. Uh, second, lovely prophecy. Eh? <laughs> uh, but secondly, she says, now, pick, pick me up on this ballerina feet thing. She said, but you're going to have lots and lots of shoes. She says, this is not a figurative prophecy. I, I actually see a wardrobe full of shoes. You're going to have many, many shoes. <laughs> so he said, okay, that's amazing. Um, thirdly, you're going to be pushed into the limelight. And don't resist. God is going to put you into the limelight. And fourthly, what was the fourth thing? You are going to have your intelligence switched on in the new year. And then she felt a bit bad because it sounded like she was calling my 13-year-old stupid. She says, no, I know that you are actually a really smart girl. I, I've heard about you. Your parents boast about how smart you are, but God says you're going to have your intelligence switched on in the new year. And all of this is going to be the confirmation that Anthem is going to be a house of healing and of miracles. Well, we understood that one. We like healing and miracles. <laughs> we'll go after that. Um, that was in October. In December, Kiara and I were involved in a car accident, and she uh, went into a vegetative coma. She had severe brain damage. Uh, she was in the lowest form of coma that you can get. The doctors told us that she was, uh, if she didn't pass away this night, which she didn't, uh, was, was worst case scenario, because now the prediction was that she would be in a vegetative coma for as long as her organs would last. And I sat there next to her bed. Uh, Rich was with a couple of our friends processing, and I was sitting there, and I just said, God, what are you doing? And in that moment, a couple of days after the accident, when it really looked like there was no hope, uh, God reminded me of this prophecy. And he said, first of all, have you picked up that one of them has already come true, the limelight? At this point in time, Kiara was in a vegetative coma. There was nothing remarkable about what had happened. The ICU was full of people in similar circumstances. And yet when we drove to the hospital, we drove past headlines, Kiara, 
prayers for injured Kiara. She was making headlines and we didn't know why. So we got the idea that there was a prophecy that was coming to pass. And as I sat there, having been told that Kiara would never walk or dance again, I remembered the shoes, many shoes. A dancer needs many shoes, many, many ballet shoes, uh, wedding shoes, running shoes, slippers, many shoes. Uh, and so there was limelight. She's going to need shoes. Suffering was uh, now very obvious. And, um, and then there was that one that the intelligence would be switched on in the new year. The accident happened on Christmas Eve. And uh, we remember the prophecy on about the 29th, phoned the lady, the couple who had <laughs> prophesied, and we said to them, you better start praying because your prophecy... <laughs> And um, on, on the 1st of January, again, Richard and I are driving to the hospital, past lamppost telling us that Kiara has been injured. Why that is news, we don't know. Uh, we, we went to the hospital, and on the 1st of January, Kiara woke up. Her intelligence was switched on in the new year. And where they thought she'd lost everything, that day, she wrote her name. She pointed out everybody in her family. She walked that day, and uh, today we are now four and a half years later, we've had to buy her yet another pair of shoes, this time high heels for her 18th birthday. We just heard that she's been accepted to Tuck University. Uh, we're going to have to buy her new dancing shoes. She has a lead role in a musical later on this year. And Anthem has become known. Anthem has become known as a house of healing and of miracles. But the thing is about the story, why I start with it, is that she is a sign and a wonder that when people come to us, they don't necessarily get a miracle. And it's not all about the miracle, but it is about the sign and a wonder of who God is. That Kiara is a foretaste of something that we get to have in the future. And each community has it. Each community is a sign and a wonder of something that we get to have in the future. And sometimes when people come to Anthem, to be honest, we do see a lot of physical healing. Uh, that is something that is over our house. We see a lot of uh, supernatural pregnancies, people who are infertile, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it's not just copy and paste. People, you don't just do exactly what we do, but you get to see a part of the coming kingdom. And Alice is the same. Alice is a sign and a wonder. And when people come here, they're not necessarily going to end up doing exactly what you do and running church exactly the way you run church. Uh, but what they are going to see is something of a sign and a wonder that is going to show them what's to come and what to work towards, what to go towards. And so it's that that we want to speak about today. And uh, Robin Zamo just asked me to talk into the prophetic identity of LSA. Rich and I have had the privilege of being under Robert and Zamo's ministry a number of times. When Robert preaches, the way that he describes the church is the most exquisitely beautiful thing I have ever experienced. He describes the beauty of the church in a way that allows me to see something that I just haven't seen before. And the, the way he does it, he, he decentralizes those gifts that shape the church and he, he centralizes, he, he shines the spotlight on the church itself. And I find that absolutely beautiful in an age of celebrity pastors. Uh, that is not the case 
Wayne Robertsby. He is possibly the most gifted teacher we know. And yet when he speaks, there's no, you don't walk away singing Rob's name. You walk away singing Jesus' name and being in love with the bride that Jesus is in love with. That's a, a remarkable thing. That's something that is over this church. And so even though I don't want to undo what Rob has done uh, in terms of putting the spotlight on them, it is very significant what kind of gifts they are because that is what God is shaping. That's a kind of sign and wonder. And so it is important, it is relevant to look at the gift in Rob and in Zamor and in this team to understand what it is that we are, as Alice say, what it is that we have here. And when I, um, when, I th when I think of Rob, certainly he is a tool in the hand of a master sculptor. Because when you're around him, it's all about the masterpiece and it's all about the master sculptor and Rob is a tool in his hand. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you might know much about sculpting. Recently, our boys had to do an art project where they had to sculpt uh, an animal out of a bar of sunlight soap. Okay, not very big, but it's the biggest bar of soap we could find. And yeah, that did not go really well. We, <laughs> we ha luckily, there's a many YouTube channels about how to do this, and you can watch step-by-step -step videos. Uh, and my boys, they started out making a bunny and then realized that they had chopped off the soap that would have made, been the ears, so they had to now be creative and find a different video to see from this whether they could maybe make a duck. <laughs> it also doesn't really look like a duck at all. They're terrible. They're terrible at sculpting. But they had step-by-step -step videos, and that was really important. Also, I had bought them multiple bars of sunlight soap, <laughs> and that was also helpful. But uh, sculpting, even I think some of the most famous and beautiful sculptures we know uh, come from the time of the Renaissance. But in the time of the Renaissance, uh, interestingly enough, the artistry of sculpting had actually been lost. That it was centuries before that the Greeks and Romans had been sculpting really the best sculptures that we have known to history was far earlier, just before Jesus' day and around Jesus' time. So at the time of the Renaissance, when uh, guys like Michelangelo wanted to express themselves as sculptors, they had nobody to learn from. And Michelangelo wanted to, interestingly enough, just God's hand over his little life when he was five, for, for a couple of years, when he was five, six, seven, uh, he didn't live with his parents. He lived with a stonemason. And so he was familiar with working in stone. And as a little boy, you can imagine he would have uh, experimented with it. And he wanted to sculpt out of marble. But he could, there was nobody to teach him. What they did in those days for sculpting is they would sculpt out of clay which was obviously a lot easier, but harder than soap, but <laughs> easier than marble, and then, and then cast it in bronze afterwards. And that was, that was how they sculpted in those days. But Michelangelo was determined to learn a new way, and it wasn't very easy for him to have to teach himself. Uh, but he went on the journey of uh, quite a, a dramatic journey, not just uh, looking at the statues uh, that were being unearthed in the Roman rubble and the Emperor Nero's uh, ruins and those kind of things. As new statues were unearthed, he would study them. But he also went and started dissecting human bodies to understand the way that muscles worked. He really, he, he went everywhere to try and understand so that he could produce works of art 
that nobody in his day was producing. And he, and he did. He learned it, and he, he created some of the most beautiful sculptures and began the evolution of, of, of sculpting in the Renaissance. When I, when I look at Rob, I think that he is trying to create something. He has been given a vision of something that actually doesn't exist at the moment. And so that's very relevant. There is not a place in the world where Rob can go to copy what is being done. There's not a YouTube video in the world that has steps for what he is trying to build here. But God has given him a blueprint of something that the world needs right now. And I don't need to explain to you what kingdom humanity is all about, but what it means to adorn the church with the humanity of Christ. God is giving him a blueprint. And when I look at Rob, the prophetic sense that I get is that he is like a plumb line, uh, which shows the way that we need to build, uh, but also a, a rubber mallet. A rubber mallet is something that can apply great pressure without breaking, without, uh, without ruining the integrity of what is being formed, that as it comes with a great force, it is still not damaging what it is shaping and what it is transforming. When, when I look at Zamor, uh, I see a blowtorch, that there is a flame in Zamor that comes with a holiness that can be intimidating, possibly, but it is also a flame that softens and so allows transformation. And that is something that is because she is a carrier of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes in her with this holiness that makes you if, you, if you are in a home, if you're in a space, you want to live a better life, but it comes with a softness that makes you actually able to live a better life. And it is something that is really quite beautiful. So what is your role? I'm not here to speak to Robert and Zambo, and I have said those words before, but what is the role of LSA? What is the light of LSA that illuminates uh, some part of the kingdom? What is the sign and the wonder that you are? Obviously, you are a collective church. Within each of you are also gifts to shape the church, but I'm speaking about you as a collective, that your responsibility, your response to what God has put in them is to be malleable. It is to be transformable. Will you give yourselves to them as a community so that we can see what it is that are in the blueprints? Because I am not Michelangelo. Uh, Rich and I are not able to, to put into place what we haven't seen. And so we're asking you to be the humans that are able to be shaped into kingdom humanity so that we can see and we can learn and we can become more like and we can see what the future kingdom holds for us. That is what we are asking of you, LSA. So in the days of the Renaissance, there was uh, a huge block of stone, a massive block of marble that was beautiful. And they, uh, they were wondering who could make something of it. And a couple of sculptors had had a go and sort of blocked it out and, and then given up, said, we, we actually don't know how to work with this piece of marble and we're, we're too intimidated by it. And so a 26-year-old Michelangelo was given the job. And the first thing he did was build a shed around 
the piece of marble so that he could work on it in peace. And for three years, he worked on this piece of marble. And I, I think it's interesting that, he had, that this marble had previously been worked on. It was called the giant, affectionately, this, this piece of stone. And I, I wonder, some of you will have come from other communities and you will have already been shaped. God has already taken you on a journey and you might think, I'm not sure if, uh, if Robert or, or the master builder God is able to work with me because I have previously been shaped and perhaps even scarred. And yet a master sculptor is able to work with those scars. He's able to work with the previous work that has been done in your life in order to create something beautiful. I just wanted to, uh, just in case you have been feeling any pressure, Rob, to say that there is no pressure on you at all. That it, uh, God has given you a blueprint, and so in a sense you are a smart tool, <laughs> but you also are a tool in the hands of the master sculptor. That there is no pressure on you actually to know it all, to see it all, to know what is the next part to work on, because you are at rest knowing that there is a sculptor who is far more interested in LSA's future formation than even you are. So we're going to sit a little bit in the book of Amos today, because if we're talking about prophetic identity, I think it's a good idea to look at one of the prophets. Uh, prophets are people who they see what is, but they also see what could be and hopefully won't be. They can see what should be and hopefully will be. And so looking around Amos uh, today, we're going to just pick up a couple of verses. And first of all, uh, there is, oh, sorry, what have I done? I can't, I've done there, never mind. Um, first of all, Amos 7 says this, this is what God showed me, Amos says. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. I don't know, we don't really use a plumb line today, but it's basically just a piece of string with a weight on the bottom so that it hangs straight and you can measure it by. And uh, Rob and I were chatting and saying that every community has gone through a terrific shaking in the last couple of years. And specifically here in Durban, there has been a shaking. And even you, LSA, have been shaken. And yet, there is a weightedness in your community that allows you to settle straight. And so what I am calling you to is to be a plumb line and also to be a prototype of kingdom humanity that we can look at. And so, yes, there has been a shaking. There has been uh, an unsettling. But there is a weightedness in you that God has put in you because you are designed to be a plumb line that others can build by. You are designed to be a prototype that others can look to and imitate. And so, even though you have been shaken, we are asking that you would remain in the process, that you would remain uh, in the process of the sculptor and the work that he is doing in you. So how do you, as LSA, as a church community, how do you remain in the process? How do you stay in the journey so that you can be faithful to the call that God has put over your life? And so I've just got three points today. 
that I would ask you to, call you to, in order for you to remain in the process. And the first one is remain in the workyard. So as I said, when Michelangelo received this giant, the giant piece of marble, the first thing that he did was build a shed around it where he would work quietly for three years before any revelation, before showing uh, this, this work of art to the world. And so I would ask you, remind you, <laughs> that God is not in a hurry. That he often speaks about the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, this will be revealed. In the fullness of time, the prototype will be revealed. In the fullness of time, Jesus came to earth. In the fullness of time, new humanity will be revealed. And so we need to be patient in the process. We need to understand that the, the moments of revelation, they will come. We don't have to fight for them. We don't have to run after them. The statue does not have to build the platform upon which it stands. You don't have to create the platform. You don't have to run after it. And neither, neither do you, Rob. Neither do you have to pull down the curtain. Neither do you have to give sneak peeks on social media of what this community is and is becoming. We need to remain in the workyard and to be, be patient in what God is doing here. The master will drop the curtain before whom he will pleases and in the time that he pleases. But in the meanwhile, will you patiently please remain in the workyard? And will you keep coming? Will you keep coming here? If you believe what I'm saying today, if you believe that God has given Rob a picture of something that we need in this earth, then please keep coming. Please keep putting your lives into the hands of this couple and this leadership team to be shaped and to be transformed. You might think that kingdom humanity is for you, that it's great for you to learn how to be more devoted, to learn how to internalize your relationship with God, personal humanity. I, I want to learn how to be a better uh, spouse one day if I get married, or if you are husband, wife, father, uh, a better citizen in this country. I want to learn, but friends, it's not about you only. Kingdom humanity is for the church. We need you to remain in the workyard. We need to see what it is inhuman. In the stones, once they're built, we, it's not good enough for us that it's just on paper. We need to see what kingdom humanity looks like. And so we're asking you to remain, to remain in the process, to remain in the workyard. I don't know if you are aware of your reputation and some of the questions that Rob and Zam will get asked. But pastors ask Rob, Rob, what did LSA do during COVID? What has happened to the marriages? What has happened to the attendance? Tell us how it looks so that we can measure ourselves by your community. Do you know that that is your reputation in the city and in the churches? Other churches measure themselves by you. So you might look here and think, this is not a massive auditorium. There, are, there could be more people. I want you to know that God is doing something significant here. Michelangelo needed one block of stone to create David. He didn't need a thousand. He needed one. Will you remain in the workyard? Will you commit yourself to being shaped in this community to display what it is that God is wanting to display as a sign and a wonder to the world?
in Amos chapter 5, there is an interesting progression that starts off early on, and he says, seek the Lord and you'll live. And then a couple of verses down, he says, seek good and not evil and you will live. And there's this connection that is made between seeking God, having the same results of life in you as seeking good and evil, seeking good and not evil. Because seeking God looks like something. It lands in a way. It lands in a type of personal humanity. It lands in a type of civilization. And so we're looking to you to show us how that looks. Again, later on in that same chapter of Amos, he writes, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. The words there that are translated justice and righteousness are, are interesting words to me because they're translated in different ways in different places. So here, the word justice is the word mishpat, and the word righteousness is the word tzedek. But sometimes that word tzedek is translated justice. So in, two, in different places, mishpat can mean justice, and tzedek can mean justice. And we're, we need, there's this idea that there's different types of justice. So there's the justice, the, the mishpat, that is judgment. It's retributive justice. It comes to fix something that's wrong. And we need that kind of justice in this world. We're living in a world where we need laws that govern, that set right things that are wrong. We need laws that tell us how to, that, that we need to pay our taxes. But then there's this idea of siddiq, this idea of righteous justice that is more like right living. It doesn't need to be set right because it is right. There's this idea of a civilization, a community that is living out righteousness. And interestingly, in Jewish law, the, the Talmud is the Jewish law book, those two words, mishpat and siddiq, are considered to be contradictions to one another. There's this idea in Jewish law that if you have pure mishpat, you cannot have siddiq. Because pure mishpat is judgment, it is some, it's retributive, it is impartial, and sometimes impartiality is not righteous. I'll give you an example. In King David's time, the way that he tried to balance these two things, uh, mishpat and siddiq, is that he would pass judgment rightly on, on an individual, saying what was the right uh, punishment for their crime. And then he would look at the person and see that if they were particularly poor, they were not able to pay the penalty that they needed to pay. But he didn't judge them according to that. He judged them according to what had been done. And then out of his own pocket, he paid the penalty. And that is where righteousness came in. And so has righteousness in that case, has Zedek in that case undermined Mishpat? Or has it completed and fulfilled Mishpat? See, we, impartiality is necessary, but so is compassion and empathy and treating people uniquely for their unique situation. The reason why I'm looking at these two words, mishpat and tzedek, is to say that as a plumb line, you need to know how to be balanced, to be pulled in different directions. When, the, when we get 
justice pulling us one way and righteousness pulling us another way, we land straight. Jesus came to fulfill that contradiction, to complete it, to help us to understand how he can judge from a mercy seat. How does that look in humanity today? How do you apply the humanity of Christ in the church and in the civilization that you live? I want to see it. I want to see that. I want to learn from it. There is the sense of LSA being uh, an academy. And often what is discussed, and when I say academy, I mean the really smart guys in the world, you know, that, that all have doctorates. And those, those smart guys in the academy, and, and not one academy, just academy, doctorates and, and smart people around the world, professors, they, they wrestle through things. They wrestle through truth, and they wrestle through how, and maybe as a man on the streets, you can look at the academy and you can think, you guys never do anything. But actually, what, the, what they figure out, what they wrestle through, what they land in the academy filters down through the professionals, through the families, until the man on the street is living according to the truths that have been wrestled in the academy. Will you give yourselves, will you remain in the workyard, give yourselves to wrestling through these complicated, beautiful truths, acting them out as families? How are, what are we going to do in, in this moment to discipline our child? What are we going to do as employees? What businesses are we going to start? Please, will you remain in the workyard? Will you wrestle through what kingdom humanity looks like that we can apply it on the street. Justice, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Water is nature's sculpting tool. And so as your lives are sculpted, uh, as you remain in this community, so the righteousness and the justice that flows from your lives will sculpt and shape and transform the communities around you. But it is done gently, and it is done slowly, but that doesn't mean that it can't, shouldn't be a mighty stream. Mighty streams, mighty decisions, radical lives are needed for the gentle transformation of civilization. Secondly, so first of all, please remain in the process, remain in the workyard. Secondly, will you remain alive? And what I mean by that is this is the Living Stones Agency, right? And so we need to stay alive. We need to keep living. Richard and I recently took our family, our children, to the Kango Caves in Otsuin, where all the ostriches are. There's ostriches, that's all there is on the top, and underneath there's the most exquisite caves in the world. And uh, walking through Kango Caves, these rock formations, these stalactites hanging from the ceiling and these stalagmites coming up and just beautiful, exquisite rock. They glisten. Uh, the lights shine on them and it's, it's white and glistening. It's limestone that has been left over, over centuries as water drips and then evaporates and leaves behind little bits of mineral that cling to the mineral that has come before and form these beautiful, beautiful formations. But every now and then, you see a, a stumpy, funny one, and it looks like uh, it's not white and glisteny. It looks more waxy and maybe oily and dirty <laughs> and roundy. Um, 
And those ones, they call, they are dead, rock formation. And the ones that are glistening and still able to grow are called living rock formation. And the reason, the thing that makes a rock formation dead is that it has been touched. And the fingerprints of the people that have touched them have left behind a little nanometer of oil that has sealed the rock and the beautiful mineral can no longer attach and the rock can no longer grow, can no longer develop and form. So what I am asking of you is that you would understand that here in this community, the tool in Rob and in Zamo and in Andile and in Keegan, the tools that God has gifted you with are, are perfect. But the people who are carrying them are not. <laughs> And every now and then, you will have the fingerprints of Rob, Zamo, and the others on your life, and they will prevent your growth. And they are not meant to be on your life. Only the tool is meant to shape your life. The fingerprints that leave behind the oils that seal you off to growth, those are not meant to be there. And I'm asking you as a community, for the sake of the church worldwide, will you allow the water of the Holy Spirit to keep washing off the fingerprints of these imperfect but beautiful tools and gifts that God has given you to this community. We are very immature when it comes to dealing with people hurting us and dealing with evil often. We tend to see good and evil in a very cartoon Disney kind of way, where there, this, there's all good and there's all evil. Uh, we are often very immature, particularly when people hurt us. There's this idea of us and them, good and evil. The, where is the line between the good guys and the bad guys? The trouble is that as Christians, we really should have a more mature understanding of evil. Evil is the corruption of good things. That is what evil is. And so the line between good and evil is never between us and them. It, is, it runs through every single one of us. The line between good and evil runs between every single one of us, including the gifts that God has given to shape this community. And so we need to understand how to deal with that. When Jesus came and conquered death on the cross, he didn't just die for the forgiveness of your sins. That isn't actually all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we hear that taught a lot, that Jesus, his death on the cross meant my salvation and the forgiveness of my sins. But it was so much more than that. When Jesus died on the cross, he conquered the corruption of evil in this world in every sense of the word, in the natural sense of physical disasters, in the way that we lead in our civilizations, in our relationships, in the way that we are human. He hasn't just forgiven what has gone before. He reforms, he decorrupts our souls so that we are able to be new humans. But that is a process. And it's a process that all of us are on. And we have to be able to grow together in that process. And so in it, please, will you remain living rock formations? If you are touched and there is reason for you to be offended, there is reason for you to hold on to offense, the way that we apply what Jesus did on the cross into our worlds, the way that we 
overcome evil in our world is many ways, but largely through forgiveness. When we forgive the people that have hurt us, when we forgive our communities, corruption loses its power. And so as Jesus is decorrupting you, as Jesus is decorrupting this community, will you keep that flowing through forgiveness? Again and again, 70 times seven, forgive one another, stay in the process, keep coming, give yourselves to it and stay alive so that you can be formed into the living formation that Jesus is sculpting you into with the gifts that he has put in this community. Will you remain in the workyard? Will you remain alive, keep healing? And will you have the courage to be glorious? Will you have the courage to be glorious? We have, Richard and I have actually been and seen the statue of David that Michelangelo sculpted out of that giant piece of marble. It is magnificent. It is, you can't get enough of it. It's so, so beautiful. It would be no use if the statue was looking coy. That just would actually defeat the whole purpose. And there would be no use, I know I'm personifying the statue a little bit to the extreme, but still, it would be no use if the statue did not want to be on display and didn't believe of itself that it was a statue. You understand what I'm saying in that personification, that we need to understand what it is that God is doing in us. Now, as I said, I have heard Rob speak, and when he preaches, he has on more than one occasion preached me to my knees, <laughs> where I hear the beauty of the church that he's describing, and it, it so exposes my inadequacy. I can't stay in my chair. It is, it's just such a glorious task. It is so far beyond and above me, and I can understand that when you hear some of what I'm saying, some of what Rob is, says over you as a community, it can be overwhelming in not being able to fulfill what it is that he is saying of you, what it is that I'm saying of you. When that happens, <laughs> when you hear the words of God over your life, speaking things into you, sometimes we can say, God, you have observed incorrectly. <laughs> I am not all that. But we need to remember who's talking. In the beginning, God spoke. John reminds us in his gospel, in the beginning was the word. When I, I have argued that with God before. God, you have observed incorrectly. And God's answer was, I am not observing. I am creating. When God speaks over you, LSA, of who you are and what you are becoming, he's not observing. He is creating what you are. What does God say of you? Where do you find that out? It is in intimacy with God that we are given the courage to believe his creative words over us. It is in intimacy with God that we are given the courage to believe his creative words over us. The most intimate 
book of the Bible, Song of Songs, begins like this. Let him kiss with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. That word, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. That word kiss is translated a few ways as well. One more word study. I know Rob's the teacher in the room, but one more word study. Because, listen here, I'm going to use it in a, different, in a different verse. This is 1 Chronicles 12 verse 2, and it's speaking about David's mighty men. Uh, King David, he had a whole bunch of guys, best warriors ever in the world, certainly the best in the Bible. Uh, and he speaks about th these mighty men, and it, this is what they write about them. They were the mighty men who helped David at war. That word, nashak. Nashak, that means kiss. It says, and they were nashak with bows and could shoot arrows with the right or the left hand. So he must nashak me with the kisses of his mouth, and the warriors were nashak with bows and arrows. Lucy, can I ask you to come up here so I can demonstrate something quickly? Would you mind? You're not shy. So the word nashak is not just to kiss. It means to arm, to equip to ready for battle. Now, I wonder if you can picture God kissing you, arming you. Orderly arrangement is another description. That's one of Rob's favorite words, the orderly arrangement of humanity. Imagine a beautiful young man like this going out to battle and the dressing of him by his father, putting on his clothes, Dressing him, another, another word for nashak, to dress. And his mother putting a bow over his back, arming him, and then kissing him and saying to him, my boy, this is what you are. Have the courage to be glorious. You are dressed, you are armed, you are kissed, you have been orderly arranged for battle. Now go. Now go. We are made ready. We have the courage to be glorious through the intimacy with God when we are kissed. We are kissed with the kisses that are like wine. Those kisses, the word is actually also a word play on wine. It's intoxication. We are made courage. We are given the courage as if we had drunk wine by the arming because we are made ready. We are intoxicated. We, we, are, we forget what we are afraid of and we are, we are ready to go and be what he has created us through his creative words. I'm not observing, LSA. I'm not saying this is what I see. I'm saying this is what you are. This is what you are becoming. This is what you are called to be. You are kissed. You are armed. You are made ready. Will you remain in the workyard? Will you remain alive? Do not let fingerprints corrupt your growth. Would you remain ready and alive in the workyard? And would you be, have the courage to be glorious, to go out and to display kingdom humanity for the sake of the world? Would you absorb the teaching that Rob has given you of what it means to be human? Would you live in righteousness 
doing what is right and fixing what is wrong, justice and righteousness, mishpat and tzedek, working together. Would you have the weight of the plumb line straightening you? You are being called to a radical holiness as a community, a radical holiness. It is not, it's not going to be for thousands, but it is going to affect millions of lives. It is going to affect the church, what you are doing here. I just want to close off with a little bit of something that I see about this family, the Santuli family. When they told us, I think our first dinner together uh, many years ago, they mentioned that they had named their daughter, Kaniso, after civilization, the light of civilization, that that is what her name symbolizes and means. When she was born, this dream of what it meant to affect civilization as a humanity was in their hearts. There was something there that they were still putting words to, but that was why she was named that, Kaniso, something we something that God is doing that is new. And as she grew, they realized that there were limitations on Kaniso, limitations in her ability to express herself, limitations in her ability to relate uh, to, to others. And while I don't think that that is um, of God, I do think that it is a prophetic picture of what they are needing to work with, that their family it's not easy to change civilization. And there are going to be limitations. And there are going to be times when, as a community, you feel like you're confused. You don't know how, what it is that you've been called to. It's, it's too big. It's hard. What do they mean? What do, they, what do all these words mean? And you're going to have to wrestle through them and learn with difficulty how to express what it means to be civilization. And so as God has tested and proved Robert and Zambor in their nurturing of a, a kaniso that is limited in expression and in, uh, in, in, in her ability to, to take her place in this world, they have been proven that they have the patience and the purifying fire and the softening and the power of the rubber mallet that, that changes the shape of something without ruining its integrity and, and changing its structure. That they have proven that they are able to love a civilization into its design, purpose, and God. It's not for nothing that you have watched them with difficulty uh, as they've shepherded <laughs> their family. God has given Robert and Zamor something. She's shown them something. And he's given them the gifts so that they can be tools to participate in putting that something, not just onto paper, but into the world. In 3D image, which is not stone, it's human, living in a certain way. So I would plead with you, as a, as a Christian, as a leader in this community and in the church of God, I would plead with you to remain in the workyard. Trust in this process. I would ask you to keep forgiving the missteps and the fingerprints. And I would ask you to have the courage to be glorious, 
Will you give yourself to being a sign and a wonder that shows us what it means to have a kingdom humanity in this age? Something that has not been seen before, but when it is seen, it will be learned from and it will go far wide. Rest in your presence, God. It is your spirit that transforms us. I thank you that as justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, that your spirit would roll upon us now like a mighty stream, like waters just rushing over us. God, I ask for men, women, and children who are a very significant part of this community. I can just speak to the children for a minute. You guys have been very, very good. I just want to say that you don't just have to be good, that you are so much more than just sitting here quiet. You guys have definitely, God is doing a work in you that is very beautiful. And LSA is not for grown-ups only. LSA is for humans. And children are a very significant part of being human. As teenagers, you are remarkable. You are something not of this world, but something that will be of this world as you show us what it looks like. I want our teenagers to learn from you. I want our children to learn from you. You are beautiful. God is doing something in your life that's going to be very exciting. We want to see it. So thank you for coming and for sitting and for listening. God, I pray that where there has been any fingerprints, God, so, we are sorry. We are fingerprints touch where they shouldn't. We are sorry. But help us not to be afraid of the work that you've called us to just because we're imperfect for it. Because we're, we're all you've got to work with. You choose to work with us. So would you wash away our fingerprints, God? Would you wash away the offenses that we may have caused, where we've been touched in a way that has been offensive, a way that has sealed off the growth in our lives. Would you come with a mighty stream now and wash it away? Wash away the oils, wash away the impurities. Would we grow again? Would we grow again, Father? Father, where we've been impatient for the revelation of what you're doing here, would you help us to be patient? Would you help us to remain in the work, work, God, to keep coming? Increase our ability to see, God. Would you just kindly do that so that we can see what it is you're building in our lives, in our collective, in our families, in us as individuals? Would you guide us, God? We are sometimes a bit confused. We're limited in our ability to express ourselves. We're limited in our ability to, to even understand what it is that you're doing but you're okay with that. You, you love to work with us. Spirit of God, would you work in this community? I thank you for this plumb line. I thank you for this prototype. I thank you for the sign and the wonder that is Alice. Anne.